Maybe the best thing about having a podcast is the opportunity to talk to so many smart and accomplished copywriters and marketing experts. Even the writers we talk to are just starting out, have unique ideas and perspectives. I think we both can safely say we feel lucky to talk to such talented people and and get to learn while we're doing it. And today's guest for the 243rd episode of the Copywriter Club podcast is Yada Golden. And she shared some of her early struggles in her business, the way she packages and sells her services, the lessons she's learned about boundaries, and so much more. There are a ton of great takeaways in this episode. Before we talk to Yada, let's talk to you, our listeners, about the Copywriter Think Tank. And that's our mastermind for copywriters and other marketers who want to do more in their business and their work. Maybe you've dreamed about creating a product, podcast, Maybe you want to build a a mini agency like the one that Yada built that she's going to tell us about here in just a minute or a product company. Maybe you want to become just the best copywriter in your industry or in your niche or the, the person that has the high paying clients and have them know that you're the one that they should be calling. That's the kind of thing that we help copywriters in the Copywriter Think Tank do. To learn more, visit copywriterthinktank.com and maybe you can join this group of extraordinary business owners too. Before we get into the interview, we should note that after a couple of minutes, Rob's internet went down. So so if you're wondering why I hog the mic and ask all the questions while Rob is quiet, well, I didn't kick him off the show. Um, It's just a little bit of tech trouble. (laughs) Not yet. So let's jump into our conversation with Yada and find out about her path into copywriting. Oh my gosh. It's such a great question because I have no idea. (laughs) It was, um, I think when I look back on my life, writing has always been a huge part of me, right? It's this, uh, I tell people like, I didn't choose writing, writing chose me. And so, you know, when in 2000 and at the end of 2013, I was going through a divorce and it was really the first time in my life that I was going to be on my own, responsible for my own bills And now it wasn't just me, it was me and my two kids, right? And so I was very much thinking, how am I going to provide the kind of life that I'm used to, that I want, um, without having to trade my time for it, right? And so, and I remember this conversation I had with a girlfriend back then, and she said, you know, you can always get a job at Nordstrom. And I felt this fire ignite inside of me. And it was like indignation, right? Where I was like, I don't work at Nordstrom, I shop there. And it's nothing against retail. Like there's any job that you want to do is perfectly fine. But it was that moment of knowing that I was capable of so much more. And the fact that that's where she had kind of boxed me in just enraged me. And I was fortunate enough to have uh, been around a lot of people who were in the internet marketing space. There was a lot of coaches and coaching groups and things like that. And I started seeing people were making money by getting on the phone and having a really cool conversation with people. And I was like, can you sign me up for that? Like, I can totally do that. Um, And then I went through this whole journey of like, well, what can you actually help people with? And I think at the time it was really going through and navigating the divorce process and becoming someone else on the other side of that, right? Like my personal growth journey. 
And so I became a relationship coach at a time when I absolutely could not believe people were paying me for relationship advice. Cause I was like, do they not see the disaster I just created in my life? But it was learning that it was navigating that and how I was going through the process that was inspiring them, that was encouraging them and motivating them to do things differently than they thought they needed to be done. And so growing that business, I needed to become a marketer and I needed to become a business person and I needed to become all of these different things that I'd had no experience with. And writing became the thing I really leaned on and the way that I marketed my business. And I really was that person that thought I'm going to write that one email or I'm going to write that one Facebook post and it's going to be the thing that changes everything for me. Um, and you know, slowly and surely I realized that that wasn't actually the case, but, uh, that that's really kind of how I got into writing sales copy and really using it as, uh, something that I could leverage to grow a business. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that process of like rethinking who you were like rebuilding, you know, not just from a business or work standpoint, but what you were doing as a human being as you were going through that divorce and, and figuring out what it was that you wanted to do. Yeah. So it's, it's actually really interesting. And I'm glad you asked this because I don't think a lot of people kind of hone in on that piece of the story. My ex-husband and I had done a ton of personal relationship. Like if there was a Tony Robbins event, we were there. If there was a program, we did it. If there was a book, we read it. But I find that people come to personal development at one of two points in their lives, typically, right? You're either on a high and you don't want it to end or you're at a low and you're like, something has got to change. I wasn't in any of those situations when I was going through personal development. And so I learned and, conce and um, conceptualized a lot of the, the stuff that I was learning. And I became really, really good at looking at other people and saying, well, you're significance driven or you should really look into this or that or the other but I'd never looked at myself through the lens of personal development. And so it was really when I hit that low in my own life where I was like, oh my gosh, my life is falling apart. My marriage is falling apart. I, you know, I, the people around me are not really the kind of people that I want to be around. I'm not showing up as how I really want to be. And the common denominator is me, <laughs> right? Like I'm the one thing that all of these situations have in common maybe I should start taking a look at me. And again, that wasn't completely self-driven. There were a lot of people around me who were years ahead of me in the personal development game and the transformation game. And so I, I was really, really fortunate to be able to look around me and see people that were already in that messy middle and kind of coming out on the other side. Um, but it was a lot of journaling. It was a lot of talking, like really, really honest, vulnerable conversations um, my ex-husband and I actually have a really, really great friendship. And we did from the moment that we decided to separate, we were like, we still love each other. We just don't want to be married anymore. And we have these two amazing kids and they deserve a happy co-parenting relationship from here on out. And so it was just a lot of, I mean, it sounds cliche because vulnerability is such like a, a catch word right now, but it was a lot of vulnerability and honesty and authenticity of saying, you know what, I like this. I don't like that. I want this. I don't want that. And the process of figuring out what those preferences were was really difficult for me because I had been showing up as such a people pleaser for so many years that I'd really kind of lost who I was in the process. 
Yeah. Well, maybe we could dig deeper into that, the people-pleasing side, because so many copywriters that we chat with in the community are people-pleasers. I'm myself included. So um, what advice would you give to someone else who is struggling and, you know, shows up as a people person, people pleaser, and that can be a struggle in business, especially what else has helped you work through that so that it's superpower and not something that actually hurts us? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that, I think every single thing that we, you know, every strength is our, also our greatest weakness. Right. And so I do think that this um, ability to empathize and to have compassion for people is one of the things that makes us really strong writers, right? Because I can put myself in the shoes of the person whose uh, voice and tone I'm wanting to capture or into the story that we're wanting to share with an audience, right? So that's the superpower. And I think that on the other side of that coin is, you know, not respecting your own boundaries and your own wants and desires and kind of bending and molding yourself to be what you think other people want you to be. And in business, I know that that's shown up for me as, hey, Yara, we want you to write this sequence using so-and-so's templates. And I'm like, I don't do that. I'm, if you're coming to me because you want me to write your story, I'm going to write it my way or else I'm not going to be happy with it. You're not going to be happy with it. And if you want it to be done in that style, go to that person. You know, that's okay. And there's no scarcity around that. It's just like there's seven and a half billion people on this planet. There's more than enough people who are going to want what I do the way that I do it, that I don't have to try to be something that I'm not, right? Um, and I think to kind of just put with that is this idea that I heard someone say, like, you can't screw up being yourself, right? Like, you are who you are, and that's the one, the one thing that you will 100% be perfect at your entire life is being yourself. And it's only when we try to be something other than what we truly are that we feel insecure, that we doubt our abilities, and that we question our choices and our decisions. And so when I really kind of integrated that into my, my, my beliefs, I was just like, well, why would I ever try to be something that I'm not? I'm not going to do it well, right? So I want to go back to, you know, what you were saying about, okay, so you knew what you had to do. You wanted to create this new career for yourself or you know, something that would support your family. Uh, and you looked around, you, you had a couple of connections in that internet space, but what did the pitch look like? How did you make that connection in order to get those first couple of projects as you started to grow this new business? I feel like so much, you know, people like to say like, it's not luck, it's hard work and it's you know, all of these things. But in my case, like I really, really was fortunate. Um, you know, James and I started dating very shortly after my divorce. And he, he was kind of the person who prompted me to become a relationship coach. And as I was kind of getting my feet wet in the entrepreneurial space, he already had years and years of experience in corporate and as a, um, as an agency and, you know, with coaches and all of these things. And so he signed up or uh, mastermind. And I just got to go with him as his plus one. And so I was in this room full of sharks, right? Like I was swimming with the sharks and I felt like a tiny little minnow in the room. And I was hell bent on making this relationship coaching business work. And so as I looked around at all of the strategies that were being shared and the tips and the tricks and, and, and theories, I was just like, how do I make this work for this? 
And one of the things that our mentor at that point, Russell Brunson, would say over and over again, he would say, when you find your one thing, it's like the world opens up to you, right? It's like a super highway, things just start happening. And I was like, well, this is my thing. Like, why isn't that happening for me? And, um, and, and like I said, I was really leaning into writing when it came to relationship coaching. And so I would post every single day on Facebook. I was typing out the beats of my heart. Like I was just pouring my soul out to these people. And I was what I like to call Mr. Nice Guy, right? Where I was like, I'm just going to add so much value that at some point people are going to throw their credit cards at me and it's going to be amazing. I don't want to make offers. I just want to help people. And so I was showing up like that. And one of the members of our mastermind, she ran an organic skincare company, came up to me one day and she said, Yada, I absolutely love everything that you write. It so resonates with me. I feel like I could have written about half of the things that you've put out. Have you ever thought of writing for another company? And at that point, I was making $2,500 a month as a relationship coach. And I was trading time for money big time. And I was just like, hmm, no. I haven't ever thought of doing that, but would you like me to write for your company? And she said, yeah. And I was like, okay, let's do $2,500 a month and I'll write 12 emails for you per month. I'll deliver them in increments of three emails per week so that you can have a great relationship with your audience. She said yes. And I immediately shut down my coaching business. And I think that that was one of the pivotal decisions that I made because it was almost like I had so much on the line, but at the same time, I had nothing to lose because it was such a small amount of money. And I guess I can say that now at the time it was like, this is all I'm making, but I had replaced it immediately. And what happened with her audience was that when we started sharing her story from her heart in a way that showcased her products and the reason behind why she had created the products rather than these are the ingredients that they contain, or those are the bad ones that we left out. Her audience came to life and we were able to take those emails, run them as Facebook ads, right? Like we were testing material with her, um, with her email audience and then going to Facebook and to paid advertising and being able to acquire people for a much cheaper price than she had been before. And we really, really kind of bolted on this back end to her business because she'd been so focused on acquisition but not nurturing or, uh, you know, repeat customers. And so when she kind of shared that within our mastermind community, it was like this onslaught. So I went from having one customer to close to 10 or 12 that were just 12 emails a month. And that was my package, right? I was like 12 emails a month, 2,500 bucks. And it just went gangbusters. And I was thrilled because I was like, oh my gosh, I actually found my thing and it's working and the universe opened up to me. <laughs> and it was, it was just this crazy ride. I can relate to that feeling when I found copywriting as well. Um, can we go back to relationship coaching before we move on and get into the other parts of your career? Uh, I would love to know, you know, from that time, that concentrated time focusing on relationship coaching, working with clients, writing about it, going through your own, you know, your own shift in relationships. Uh, what are, you know, two to three lessons you learned that have stuck with you that you would pass on to a best friend in a relationship that could help all of us in our different relationships? Yeah. So I think one of the biggest things that I learned for myself, and then I saw it kind of mirrored in all of my clients was that we are so terribly afraid that one, we're not good enough and two, that we won't be loved. 
And so we try to bend and shape and mold ourselves into what we believe other people want us to be. And when we do that, and you've got to consider that the other person is also doing the same thing, right? Because they're also scared of the exact same things. And so when we do that, we're not actually in relationship with each other. We're in relationship with like our representatives, right? Like we send out our representative and we're like, okay, this is what I think you want me to be. And you're sending what you think I want you to be. And eventually that gets exhausting, right? And we eventually don't feel like sending our representative out and the real us comes out. And then that's met with what the heck is this? Like, who are you? Why are you being this way? And it almost confirms that we're not enough and that we won't be loved. Right. And so, so that's a huge thing. I tell people, I'm just like, you've got to show up as who you really truly are. And if you love someone, love them enough to show them that version of you, right? The ugly version, the angry version, the sad version, the goofy version, the like insecure version, all of you, all of you. And that's what I believe true love really is. It's not hiding those pieces and parts of you. It's showing up with them and saying like, hey, I've got these broken, hurt, wounded pieces and parts of me. Will you love them? Will you help me heal them? And when you find that match, it's such a beautiful space because it allows you to grow together and to heal together and to become together, right? And so if we want to look at that through the entrepreneurial lens, our biggest fear as an entrepreneur, because we're human, is that we're not good enough and that we won't be loved. Our greatest fear as copywriters is that we won't be good enough and that our work won't be loved. And so we're afraid and we hold back and we try to be things that we're not. And it just repeats, the cycle just repeats, right? And so it's really owning who you are and being confident and secure in that, that allows you to create and to show up and to help and to serve in the ways that you're truly meant to. What are some examples of how you've done that in your business, whether it's more recently or, you know, years ago when you were like, this is, I've got to show up as my full self. Same way I have to in relationships. I got to do that in business. What are some examples of that? I think actually one of the biggest examples of that is that I am a copywriter, but I kind of buck all traditional copywriting rules, (laughs) right? Like I don't, I don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm like the anti-copywriter almost and not because not the person or the, the work itself, but I'm like, You've got to do it your way, right? I really think that if we look at copywriting, it's not about strategies and tricks and hacks and templates and all of these things. It's about connecting with an audience and helping them understand the value that is available to them when they say yes, right? And so I'm like, I don't want, like, I, actually, I could tell you a quick story. I, um, when I first started my entrepreneurial journey, James actually handed me a book by John Carlton. I don't remember which one it was, but he handed it to me and he's like, you're such a great writer. I bet you if you read this, you could become a copywriter and make millions. And I was like, okay. And so I sat there by the window drinking coffee and I read through this entire book and I completely lost my voice. I was like, I can't believe that anybody's read a single word that I've written because I don't do it like that. Right. And I lost my spark. I lost my voice. I lost my confidence to actually present an offer to talk to my audience. And it was awful. It was absolutely awful. And so years later, when I now found myself writing for businesses and things were working and emails were converting and people were reaching out, I was like, maybe I had it right. 
right? Like maybe I didn't need to do all of those things and maybe I didn't need to construct emails and I could just actually write from my heart and connect with people. Um, and so it was the process of trusting myself, right? And being okay with knowing that I tell people all the time, I'm like, I'm, you're not pizza. I'm not pizza. Not everybody's going to like you and that's okay. Right. And so I understand that not everybody's going to like my style of writing or the length of my emails or the content that I send out. But the people who do are the people that I'm truly meant to serve. And and that's that's where my focus is. It's not on trying to win the hearts of people who don't love me. It's on really serving and adding value to the people who do. And where as you have grown and you took on those first few clients, twenty five hundred dollars a month, those retainers, um, how have you grown since? And what does your business look like today? What type of clients are you working with today? And what type of work are you doing with them? Yeah. So I think the very first thing that changed was that I was terrified. <laughs> like I thought, you know, as soon as I make money, like as soon as I make, you know, I have a $10,000 month, everything's going to be perfect and all things are going to have, you know, magically resolve themselves. And I found myself feeling like I was strapped to a rocket. I tell everyone, I'm like, I felt like Wile E. Coyote strapped to a rocket. And the only thought that could go through my mind was like, don't screw it up. Don't screw it up. Don't screw it up. Um, once it was kind of more regular, I, I eased into it. And I realized that we need help, right? Like business owners, we can't do it all alone. And there, if you try to do it all alone, there's only so far that you're going to go. Um, without screwing it up, right? And at some point you're going to be falling asleep thinking of, you know, your to-do list just one more time. And, you know, you're going to be with your kids, you know, worried that you're messing something up. And so one of the biggest steps that I took was to bring on an assistant for myself. And then after bringing on an assistant was really looking to how, and this is actually where I became a teacher because I'd never considered myself a teacher, but I needed help. And I, I had finally solved the money problem for myself, which was awesome. And I remember being in those mastermind groups and hearing people say, you know, it's not about the money. It's about the impact that I can have. And I was like, you guys are so full of crap. It's 100% about the money. And it wasn't until I solved that money problem for myself that I really understood. I really did want world peace, right? <laughs> like I felt like a beauty queen. I was like, it really is about the impact that I can have now because why would I keep pushing? Why would I keep growing this thing? And I kind of looked behind me and saw that there were so many writers who were struggling to make ends meet and who were so incredibly talented. And I thought, I have the platform. I have the spotlight. I have the clients. Can I teach them to do what I've done? And the answer was yes, right? And so I actually went into a Facebook group that a friend of mine ran and I put up a post and I was like, hey, I'm running an agency. I've got more clients than I know what to do with. And I'm looking to hire some writers. I will walk you for free through my process over the next six weeks. And if at the end of it, you're a good fit, I'll bring you on to work with us. And I, I thought I was going to get two or three people. And I got like 25 people raise their hand. I took them through the process. And at the end of it, I think there was five or six that I brought on as contractors. And that's how we, that's how we've worked. We typically pay people per piece. And so we have recurring clients. We have, um, we function as an outsourced marketing department for larger brands. Um, you know, we, we basically, if it has words, we'll do it. So we do video scripts, we do five minute webinars, we do tone of voice documents, which are one of the newest things that we're doing. And I absolutely love doing them. Um, 
emails, sales pages, like all the things. And uh, what, what else, like how else is that structured today with your, your agency? You mentioned multiple contractors working on individual projects. What is your role in there? Are you copy chiefing? Are you also training? And how, yeah, what do you do every day with those, with that team? Yeah, so they're all, I'm acting more as a copy chief these days. For a while, I was kind of editor. I didn't like that. <laughs> um, so I was like, well, let me, you know, I brought on a proofreader and she's kind of proofreader slash editor. And, um, and I train, I train all of my writers. So anytime that I do a training for, uh, I, group, I run a group coaching program. Anytime that I do a training in there, it's like, hey, come in and watch it. They're part of the Facebook group so they can, you know, leave feedback for people when they post their writing. Um, it's, uh, I wouldn't say that it's like super dialed in because that's not the kind of person I am, right? I, I'm with somebody who's very systems and processes oriented, and yet I'm over here kind of bucking the system. And so it's very loosely structured. I'm like, I give you the creative bandwidth to create the pieces that you need to create, but this is the box that they need to fit into, right? And so within that box, like you do whatever you want. Nothing leaves my agency without me having read it though. So once it's written, once it's proofed and edited, I go through it and then I send it out to the client so that I know the conversation that we're having about the pieces when any revisions or tweaks or edits come in. And how do you keep the agency from getting out of control with too much business or just, you know, so many, so much work, so many clients that you feel spread too thin or you need to clone yourself. How do you manage that within the agency structure? Yeah, I think that, so we use, um, we use Asana and we're really good with tracking progress and how long it takes people to do certain things. Um, and so I can kind of look at my individual writers and see what their bandwidth is. And whenever I have something that I'm like, hey, we're going to need to turn around a sales page and 25 emails and some, you know, affiliate promo emails in the next seven days, I'll reach out to them and say, I'd like for you to work on this project. Do you have the bandwidth available? Right. And what's really cool is that because I've kind of created this company wide training and this method for writing the stuff that we write. I can have two or three writers work on the same project if I need to. It's not my preference. I would much rather have one person keep the tone and voice of everything. Um, but it's worked out really well in those kind of like pinch situations where we do need to bring a couple people in to work on something because we work so well as a team, right? And I think that's one of the things that, again, I've been really fortunate to find people who just click culture-wise where it's like, hey, can you take a look at what so-and-so wrote and make sure that it's on brand with what you've, what you've envisioned, right? And so they have real uh, creative direction when needed. And can you talk about your method that you teach, those trainings that you um, teach to your copywriters? Yeah, absolutely. So we do uh, what I like to call story selling. And I wish that I'd known there was a book called Story Selling before <laughs> I called my process Story Selling. Um, but it's, it's really about, it's a six-step method, and it's really about um, just being real with your audience and helping them have that epiphany uh, right along with you, right? So I, I like to tell people that we're not ever telling our stories in service of ourselves. It doesn't feel good necessarily to go back to those deep, dark moments or to those challenging spots or to when you were like face-to-face -face with that obstacle. We don't tell those stories because 
we think it's awesome. We're telling those stories in service of our audience in the hopes that by listening to that story, they will themselves find the answer that they're looking for, right? And so um, I can walk you through the steps if you want. Uh, hopefully I'll remember them. That's so funny. Whenever At least I would love to focus on the the epiphany, if that's, I don't know if that's one step or it's connected to multiple steps, but how you reverse engineer that, because I, I don't think that's easy to do. So if we focus on that step, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So the epiphany is, have you ever watched uh, like a gymnastics competition where, you know, or maybe even a gymnastics practice where the girl is tumbling or the guy's tumbling? Are you a gymnast? I was going to say, I used, I used to do gymnastics back in the day. <laughs> I wasn't very good and I was too tall for it, but I did do it. And my sister was really good. So I watched her. So yes. Oh, awesome. Okay. So then you, you've seen the coach when he's spotting the tumbler, right? And there's yes. always, you just got their hand there just in case, right? And I think that this is the best analogy that I've found to explain to people how our story serves our audience, right? Like I'm always, always, always speaking to the highest and best, most enlightened version of my reader. I'm never going to be condescending to them or talk down to them or pretend like I've got it all figured out. Most of the time I'm like, listen, I'm a person just like you. It's a hot mess back here, but I'm really, really good at these five things, right? And if I can help you with any one of these five things, I'm going to do everything in my power to do that. As a matter of fact, let me tell you this story about before I knew what I was doing. This is what I was experiencing. These are the things I was thinking. This is how I was feeling. These are the fears that I had. This is what the people around me were telling me. But then I went to this conference. I met this person. I read this book. I had this experience. I had an aha moment. And ever since then, I've understood, just like you understand, that XYZ is actually the truth, right? And so we walk them across that bridge. Like we go back to before we knew the thing that we're going to share with them. We tell them about the experience that caused us to have that revelation. And then we explain to them what life has been like since then. And so I used to watch cartoons when I was a little kid. I'm sure you did too. And I was the kid that was like, I'm going to be rainbow bright. Like I want to be Shira, right? Like you call out the character, the protagonist that you want to follow along on the story with. And so our desire as writers is that our reader will choose us as the character that they're going to go along with and learn the same lessons with, right? And so what we're really doing for them is that we're tying together the milestone moments, as I like to call them, in your journey to becoming the person that can help them so that it makes sense to them, right? Like if I tell you, I was going through a divorce and I became a relationship coach and now I'm a copywriter. You're like, wait a minute, there's a lot missing here. Like that doesn't make sense. Why do I want you to write for my business? But if I tell you as a relationship coach, I figured out that the biggest problem we have in communication one-to-one -one is that we're so afraid to be seen as who we are because we're afraid that we're not good enough and that we won't be loved. And as I looked around our masterminds, I realized that entrepreneurs were having the same problem. They were just having it on a scale of one to many. And so I realized that if I could help entrepreneurs tell their story in a way that turned their step, their stopping points into stepping stones, I could help their audiences fall in love with them and I could help them show up authentically and consistently and actually generate income from their email audiences. Now you're like, oh, that, that totally makes sense. 
right? So we have to connect those dots for our readers. And where do you feel like most of us, most copywriters, not all copywriters, but we mess this up when we're trying to create this relationship with our reader and we're trying to create this epiphany? Um, Where do we go wrong? So many places. (laughs) I think one of the main places is focusing the copy on the product or the company, right? Like so much of the copy that I see out there is company and product centric. And I'm like, you guys, we have to be customer centric. This has to be about the customer and their wants and their needs and their story. Like, like I said, we're telling our story in service of them. And so it's not, you know, oh, I'm on a beach in Florida and I extended my vacation two weeks because I'm so awesome. It's, I remember when I couldn't do that. And I remember how frustrating it was when all I could bring in was $2,500 per month, no matter how hard I tried. And then X, Y, Z happened. And now I'm in this situation, right? Like you got to, you got to package it up for them in a way that they'll accept it. I tell the story. So I have a Frenchie at home and if he ever gets sick and I take him to the vet, they're going to give me medicine that I'm going to have to give him. And he's going to want absolutely no part of it. He wants no part of it. But if I wrap it in a piece of cheese, he's going to gobble it down and he's going to get the benefit of it. Right. And so it's the same with our readers. It's the same with us. Right. Like we don't want to take the medicine. We want to pick up the piece of candy and eat that. So if the medicine is wrapped up inside of that candy, we're going to get the benefit of it. Right. It's it's the it's the epitome of sell them what they want and give them what they need with a story, with an email, with a sales page. We're going to present them with what they want. And at some point, we're going to pivot the message and say, I know that's what you want, but let me tell you about the thing that you actually need and how that's going to create what you want for you. Okay, let's take a minute and break some of this stuff down. Early on, Yada mentioned the negative inspiration that she got from people who were telling her that she could always get a job at Nordstrom. I I love this uh, because I think so many of us have had that, you know, when we start this dream of trying to figure out like, how do I, how do I freelance or how can I be a copywriter or how do I start working for myself? And there are a lot of people around us who may say, you know, it's not going to work out or they don't believe in the vision uh, and may have even said things like what people said to Yada, you know, you can always work at Nordstrom or you can always, I don't know, flip burgers or, 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 you know, work for Starbucks or whatever. And I, I just think it's um, interesting. You know, we, we are surrounded by all of these people, some of whom may believe in us, some of us, some who don't believe in us. But it's just uh, a reminder that we need to surround ourselves with people that are doing similar things to what we're doing, that have similar dreams, and that, you know, want to accomplish the same kinds of businesses that we want to build for ourselves. So, you know, whether that's in a group like the Copywriter Club, you know, the, the Facebook group where so many people have started out, or, you know, a paid group. And we have paid groups, but obviously we're not the only ones out there with paid groups. Um, it's just really smart to surround yourself with people who believe in your dream. What do you think? I love negative inspiration. I do really well when people tell me I can't do things. Um, that's just the inner contrarian. Um, I remember when I was 15 and working at my first restaurant and I was very, you know, kind of shy and more introverted. And I remember my friend got a job at the same restaurant and 
I was working in the back. I was actually doing the dishes and I wasn't waitressing yet. And my friend started waitressing right away. And I remember the owner said something like, oh, Kira, like you don't want to start waitressing. Like you're, you're not ready for that. You're just, you, you can't really do that. And that fired me up. So I got out, <laughs> I got out of the kitchen, stopped washing dishes and started waiting tables, even though I was terrified because uh, they told me I couldn't do it and I wouldn't be good at it. And so I, I think that drives a lot of us. And so I say bring on the negative inspiration because uh, we as entrepreneurs tend to do really well with that. Yeah. Now I'm thinking through what kinds of things can I say to you that will inspire you negatively, telling you the things you can't do that I really <laughs> want you to do. <laughs> I think, um, yeah. Yeah. If you can reverse engineer that in your favor, you know, go for it. Go make it work. So I know last week when you know, we talked with Jared McDonald, uh, he talked a lot about empathy and you know, building uh, and what it takes to have empathy and building that into the process. And I, I just think that pairing what he said last week with what Yara is talking about in this episode about empathy is also uh, really interesting. And you know, if, you, if you're grooving on what she's sharing in this episode, make sure that you go back and listen to what Jared shared as well, because I think they go hand in hand together. Yes. And I love that we talked about relationships. We don't always get a chance to talk about relationships. I know um, I forget the episode where we started talking about love and romance at one point. That was maybe a hundred episodes ago, but um, I'm glad and grateful that Yada was willing to kind of open up and talk about her divorce and her relationship and a harder time in her life. And I think what she shared around being the common denominator really stood out to me. And I know she was talking more about her personal relationships at the time and how she was looking at them and realized like some of them were maybe broken and not as successful as she would have liked. And she realized she was the common denominator. I think that applied to business really easily, especially if you feel like you're working with a lot of bad clients or you have a lot of client relationships that are a struggle repeatedly. And you start to notice that pattern um, sometimes, even though it could be painful, it might be that you know that we are the common denominator. If all of our clients are awful clients, what do they all share in common? It's it's us. So I think that does show up in business a lot, and is worth paying attention to. Yeah, I could not uh, agree more with that. You know, when you look at the things that are going wrong in your business, when you start to see the repetition in those things, you know that it's a problem that comes down to something that is in your control. It's definitely not. Uh, outside control. And I, I'm not talking about, you know, problems that happen once in a while or one time or whatever. So when you start to see things over and over and over, we need to recognize there's something that we are doing or something that we are not doing in our business that is causing this and you need to look deeper. So I think that's really wise uh, comment that she made. And she, again, she was applying it to her own personal relationships, but it applies to everything that we do. Yes. What else stood out to you, Rob? So I also love the fact that she goes all in on her business. You know, when she's doing this coaching thing, she gets the opportunity to write some copy, replaces her income with that first client and immediately makes the switch, like quits coaching, goes all in on copy. And I think that, you know, we've seen this happen a lot of times where people want to be copywriters, but they hesitate to go all in because, you know, maybe they have to give up a pretty decent paycheck or, you know, maybe they're on some kind of a career track that, ha you know, there's options for them if they don't lean all the way in. And so they keep, you know, doing uh, copy as, as maybe a side hustle or, you know, they're not succeeding quite as much as they could. 
where, you know, if, if you burn the ships, if you, you know, if you go all in on something and you're forced to make it work, oftentimes you can see that uh, success. And I think Yada is proof that that works. I'm not saying that's right for everybody in every situation. Obviously people need to make sure that, you know, they have that opportunity that, that, you know, they've, they've got sort of an idea of where they're going, but, uh, Yada proves that, you know, you can burn the ships, you can go all in on your thing and make it work. Yes. I love that message. And I also like what she shared about the example of reading the John Carlton book and then losing her voice along the way because then she started to question her own writing. And and that happens so frequently to copywriters we talk to. It's it's happened to me before. And so I think it's just a really good reminder that, you know, if that continues to happen, like to make a change and avoid that from happening. And that could mean pulling back from taking every single course or pulling back from Instagram so you're not reading everyone and all the other copywriters' Instagram captions and starting to question your own voice. So I, I think it's it's tricky because we want to stay relevant in the industry. We want to learn. We want to develop new skills. And oftentimes that requires learning from colleagues and peers, which is great. But if you are someone who tends to lose your own voice easily, it might be worthwhile to just be really careful about what you consume so that you don't feel like you're losing yourself along the way. Yeah, I think especially when we're starting out, we feel like if we're going to talk about this thing that we're an expert in, or that we're at least building expertise in, that we need to talk about it in a way that's similar to what everybody else is doing or the things that they're saying. And that just isn't true. There are unique ways to talk about this stuff. Uh, you know, maybe there's some crossover. Maybe it sounds a little bit like somebody that you've heard, but the more you talk about it uh, yourself or write about it, the more that you think about it, you're going to bring your own voice to it. And you're right. I, I, again, I agree 100%. With Yada, it's like if you're reading a book that makes you think, oh my gosh, I've got to do everything perfectly. Um, or, you know, we, we start to put pressure on ourselves that we're not screwing up, we're not doing this wrong. Uh, it might be time to take a step back and say, okay, what do I bring to the table? How can I make a difference? You know, how can I serve my client? What's the problem that I can solve and not worry so much about the way everybody else has done it? Yeah. I mean, put down the book. Don't, you know, we don't have to finish the book or if you're reading some, another copywriter or another marketer's email, cause you're on their list. Stop reading the email if it's triggering the imposter syndrome and like get off their list. And so we, we can control those little things and it's just, it's not worth potentially losing your own voice and your own confidence and even maybe questioning your own business. Yeah, a hundred percent agree. All right. Let's go back to our interview with Yada and talk about her frameworks. And this framework that you've developed with the six steps, is that something that you work on with emails mostly today? I know you said you do VSL. You're kind of, you're up to doing anything, um, but I know you also focus on email. So what does that typical project look like today? Yeah. So we will typically do, I've, I've created a couple of different frameworks. So we have the story selling framework, which is what we're referencing right now, uh, which is a six step framework that really just kind of walks you through the six steps that I noticed as I was personally writing all of the emails, I, I had a notebook on my desk and every time I did something over and over and over again, I just wrote down what, what I was doing and that's kind of how that was born. And that's what I trained all of my writers on. Next, I created a subscriber reviver, which is one of the things that I would say I'm most known for is helping people revive their audiences after having ghosted them. <laughs> um, 
And that's a three email framework or sequence. And it's really how you come back to the conversation. I think the biggest mistake I watch people make is apologize. Like, I'm so sorry that I've been gone. I neglected you. It's because it's because XYZ. And I'm like, nobody cares. I'm like, you just got to bust through the wall like the Kool-Aid man and be like, I'm back. Right. And bring that energy of awesome. And so it's really I'm back. Um, what I'm so excited about. And then an invitation for you to join me on that journey. Right. And so that's that's where we really start with most people, because I mean, I think it's close to like 68% of entrepreneurs or list owners aren't emailing their audiences. And so I'm like, come on, it's okay. Let's just get this done. From there, I'll take them into the warm-up sequence, which answers the six questions that I believe every prospect has on their mind when they join your email list or come into your world period, right? And that's who are you? Where did you come from? What do you do? How did you earn it or learn it? Who do you do it for? And then how can you do it for me? Right. And so those are really, I would say the sequences that we're most often doing <clears throat> when our clients are happy and they want to keep going with us. Um, a lot of times they'll kind of join my group coaching and say, okay, how do I do this now? Or they'll just ask us to kind of take over that nurture of the audience for them. And so we'll do, we still do the 12 emails per month situation, or we'll, we'll work with people in copy blocks where it's like, Sometimes you need emails, sometimes you need a sales page, sometimes you need social posts, sometimes you want blogs or articles. And so we kind of made that really flexible for people in that they can kind of get one copy block or they can stack copy blocks really depending on how much work they need done. Can you talk more about the copy blocks? That sounds cool. Is it, I mean, we've talked about day rates on the show. Is it more of a day rate or is it a couple hours or um, how do they purchase that? Um, so for us, it's, it's kind of what we put in the copy block to what makes it up, right? So I have people who are like, I want to email my people once a week, but I don't have a very big budget. I also don't have time or desire to write these emails. And so I'm like, okay, one copy block will cover 12 emails for you. And you can send one out per week and you've got 12 weeks of emails. At that point, my desire is that there's an ROI on those emails so we can either up the amount of emails that you're sending per week or we can just do another copy block, right? Um, we've done it to where it's like six blog posts and six emails or one sales page or maybe somebody wants a script for you know a couple of video scripts or something like that. So it's, it's really a way um, that allowed me to simplify my quotes and, uh, and really kind of move through projects really quickly and make it um, reasonably priced, I think, for my entrepreneurs. Because a lot of, I, I have really great relationships with people in the kind of startup space. And so I find that if I'm like, oh, it's gonna be $10,000 for a sales page, there's very few people that are in a position to do that. Although I know that it's well worth it, but I'm like, I would much rather like my heart really is to serve the entrepreneur and getting their message out into the world because that helps me leverage my message out into the world. And so I'm like, you know, I can do a copy block for $3,000 and write 12 emails, or I can do a copy block for $3,000 and have it be a sales page, or I can do a copy block and have it be, you know, six, blog posts and a handful of articles and it doesn't really make a difference for me you know there's obviously projects that are bigger and more involved and more time consuming and that require strategy and like a content calendar and a promotion calendar and all of those things and that's that's a different story 
but I really wanted to make good copy that will convert and connect accessible for business owners. And I think that this has been my way of doing that. Yeah, I love that. And how do you how do you look at that time in the copy block so that you're, you know, you're protecting your own boundaries and not also not bleeding into the next day and the next day and the next day because also, you know, perfectionist tendencies tend to kick in too. How do you protect your time there? I think that it's really I've left that up to my writers. I'm like, you know, I give all of my writers seven to 10 days to turn any of their projects around, whether it's a sales page or it's, you know, 24 emails or however long. And if they need to be delivered in increments, I'm also fine with that. I think that it's probably less time management and more client expectation management, right? Because I'm very upfront with people. I'm just like, you're not going to hear from us until X date. And that's that. And I stick to that. You know, if people ch- check in with me or they kind of like want to nudge the, de- the deadline. I'm like, no, this is the deadline that we set. And that's, we never miss a deadline. And that's when you're going to get your stuff. And that's what you signed up for. So <laughs> we're good. Right. And they all are, you know, it's, uh, it, I've had those moments where I'm like, oh, it's Sunday. And somebody messaged me and said that they want their email today. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not doing that to myself or to my writers. We have an upfront contract Um, and that, I mean, that might even go back to the question you asked me earlier of like, what were the things that I learned about relationship and having an upfront contract is super important, right? Like this is what I said I was going to do and this is what we agreed on and we're going to do that, right? And if we're going to change that, we both need to be on board with it. And that carries through to business and to your deliverables too, right? Whether you're the one doing a service or they're the ones delivering on the promise. Like when I look at a customer that I'm going to write for, I want to make sure that they're good people, that their product actually does what it, what it says that it's going to do and that they're going to provide exceptional customer service because I'm not going to lend my voice or my words or my skill to perpetuate a lie in the world, right? And so I've turned people away for that too. It's crazy. And I want to go back to your writers again because I have a feeling this question might pop up for listeners. So how do you like to think about paying your writers on your team? This Again, this question pops up all the time in our community as far as like how to structure it, percentages. How do you think through that and approach it? Um, I'm really clear with them that I pay per piece. So all of my emails are paid per piece and they invoice me because they're contractors. And, um, we kept, we keep track of everything through our project management system. So as they submit their invoices, we kind of fact check it against what we've got. And I think it's never not lined up, which is awesome. Um, and then if let's say there's a sales page or a bigger project comes through, I will sit with them and say, this is the project. This is what's expected. Um, You know, this is the length, the the time commitment or whatever we expect for this project quoted out for me. Right. And so I, I really do let them set their, uh, their price and it either works for me or it doesn't, but I'm also not bound to, I have two employee writers that are my only choices. I'm like, I've got seven or eight people that I can go to. And I can choose the one that makes sense for me. I also kind of look at what are their strengths and weaknesses, right? Not everybody likes writing sales pages. Not everyone likes writing emails. Very few people I find like writing social media (laughs) captions. Um, And so I kind of 
I kind of go through, um, I don't know, like a state, my stable of writers and say, okay, this is a project that's come in. Who do I think would be a good fit? And now let's have conversations with them to see if it makes financial sense as well. Um, and I, I, I'd venture to say that the majority of my writers are super, super happy because they've been with us for years at this point. And it's, it's awesome because we've really learned to not only develop them, but also help them shine right in the areas where it's just like, holy crap, you're amazing at that. And I want to, I want to help that sparkle, right? Like, I don't, I don't want to keep you hidden from the world, like go do your thing. And, and I, I think one of the other really cool things is that as their own businesses have grown, like I'll get boxes, you know, or messages where they're just like, Hey, you know, I'm having trouble with this client or how much should I quote for this other thing? And it's, it's, that's really exciting for me. And it really lights me up. So we've talked about a lot of the successes you've had as you built this agency and you've grown your own business. Let's talk about the flip side and where you've struggled the most as you've built your business. You know, what are some of the, the harder moments that maybe we don't talk about enough, um, even recent moments that are struggles? Mm. So I think initially seeing myself as a business owner was really, really difficult. Um, even seeing myself as an entrepreneur, like I, I had always told myself this story that I was a great number two. I'm amazing at helping other people shine and just kind of hanging back and fanning their flames, you know, and, uh, in the relationship that I'm in, I kept trying to do that. Right. I was just like, you go be amazing. Like you go shine. And every time I would put him in front of me, he would step aside and he was like, well, you shine too. And I'd hide behind him again and he'd step aside and he's like, you can do this. And I kind of hated him for it for a while. Um, but as I got more comfortable with being the person that had something to say and that had something to share, um, I really kind of had this realization that oh my gosh, like I'm actually impacting people's lives. I'm actually helping their businesses grow and not only theirs, but their customers and their clients and their audiences, right? Like there was this like big ripple effect that was happening. Um, and it was, you know, Russell, Russell Brunson asked me to speak at Funnel Hacking Live in 2019. I'd never been on stage before. And he's like, there's going to be 4,500 people there. And I, like, I think I ran the gamut of, yeah, like I ran the gamut of emotions in like five seconds flat. Like I cried, I I laughed, I like broke down. It was just like everything happened at once. And the nine months I think leading up to that event were some of the hardest months that I'd ever had because I I don't know if you've ever had the experience of like feeling yourself growing. Like I knew that I was being called to be something that I wasn't yet. <laughs> and I had a finite amount of time to become that person. And, and I think leaning into that and really just being open about it, because every podcast interview that I did, every call that I had, people were like, are you excited? And I was like, I'm as excited as I am nervous. Like most of the time I just want to throw up when I think about it. And, um, and I had to, I had to, um, like solidify a lot of the thoughts that I was having in my mind about what I did so that I could communicate it to somebody. And I had to really believe and 
become convicted about what I had kind of been saying on a small scale because I was about to like put a flag in the ground, you know, and be like, no, this is what I do. And so that, that was really, really difficult for me. Um, but when I got on stage, I remember just being like, oh no, this is what I was meant to do. Like this, this is what I have to, like, it just kind of clicked for me. Um, I wish I could explain that better, but it was, it was, it was such an incredible process, but it was messy AF. <laughs> messy. That was a lot of tears. <laughs> and I think we can catch that video on your website, right? Is that the one that's posted on your website, the full video? Yeah, yeah, okay. it's there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we can all see it and enjoy it. Yeah, and I think, um, and this may actually resonate with, with a lot of people. Um, the other thing that I had a really, really difficult time with was money. I had a horrible relationship with money. Um, I grew up with two parents who were self-employed, which I've now found is very different than being entrepreneur. Um, they were self-employed. And so money was always there or not there. It was there or not there, right? It was these highs and lows. And my ex-husband was a real estate agent, very successful, but it was also highs and lows, right? And so when I met James, it was the first time in my life that I'd ever experienced stability. Like the money just kind of went like this, right? It was climbing. And I would watch it and I was like, what in the world is happening? Like, how, how are you doing that? It was like magic to me. And um, I remember when we moved in together, we decided that it would be my responsibility with like the limited means that I had. He's like, well, just you be in charge of like making sure the refrigerator is full and stock, you know, stock the groceries. And I remember that there were weeks when like the gro the refrigerator would be empty and he'd be like, why haven't you gone to the supermarket? Like, do you not have time? Do you not feel like it? And I was like, oh my God, like I don't have money to go to the grocery store, you know? And it was tears of shame and guilt and desire and, you know, uh, comparing myself to other people and believing that I should be different than I was and that. I should be further along than I was and that that things should be different somehow than they were. And it was it was really emotional for me to kind of have this experience of money coming in and then spending money, right? Like investing money in people and in coaches and in masterminds and equipment, like buying a computer. Like it was just so like there was so much scarcity in my world um, because there was moments of having and moments of not having anything. And, um, and I think that when, you know, when I was asked to kind of write for this company and I, and I made that switch where I was like, I'm going to completely replace my income and I'm shutting this business down, um, was the first time that I stepped fully into believing that the universe kind of had my back. And I was like, if this is the thing I'm meant to do, I've just got to trust that there's more than enough business. There's more than enough work. There's more than enough emails that need to be written and that I can have an impact here. And, um, and that's really when, when things completely changed for me, but it was, it was blind faith because up until that moment, I had just had such a tumultuous relationship with money. And is there any other advice you'd give to that person who's listening and can relate to that and is like, oh, I am that self-employed person where my income is fluctuating month to month and I really want to get out of this position and become you know, become more steady in my income and more confident what I'm doing? Yeah, I think my biggest piece of advice would be to be strategic about your offerings and be strategic about 
how you're setting up your, uh, your contracts, because if you're, I, this happened with my coaching, right? I was like, Oh, I got a client and I'm going to work with them for 30 days. At the end of those 30 days, I needed, I was, I was unemployed again. Right. And so I needed to, and I had this happen over and over where I was selling and then as soon as I had people that said yes, I would stop selling. And so that was creating this up and down for me, right? And so I had a I had a coach and I remember she said, well, extend your contracts to 30 days. And so if you sell one this month for 30 days and then you sell one next month for 30 days, now you have you know six months that are covered, but they're staggered from each other. And I was like, oh, that's brilliant. And then she was like, well, now extend it to four months, right? And I was like, oh, this is brilliant, right? And so, so it, it became this, I'm not... I'm always selling, but I'm selling into the future so that I can forecast what my income is going to be in six months, 12 months, 18 months. And the more work you have coming in, the easier it is for you to do that. Um, I think the other thing I would really focus on is making sure that you have, I say this to my, to my clients all the time. The reason that people are so obsessed with their unsubscribes typically is because they don't have a consistent way of bringing people onto their list. So they believe that they have a limited amount of people to work with. And when those people are gone, poof, their business is gone and the opportunity is gone. And so uh, when I when I created the challenge, Subscriber Reviver, it started bringing in people after people after people to where I was like, well, now I'm saying no to working with people. So I don't really have a problem of what's it going to be like in six months, like I know the amount of people that are coming in, it, it became predictable. And so, um, so that's really helped too, is making sure that you have a pool of like a way to bring people into your world so that you're not dependent on that one customer or that one contract or making sure that you have work or you can't feed your family. Like that's super stressful. And I promise you that you're not doing your best work in that situation. And you're probably saying yes to things that you should say no to. Yeah. You know, I think it goes back to a lot of what you shared today about, you know, having an abundant mindset versus a scarcity mindset and the difference it can make in every area of your business. So I know we're almost at time. I want to respect your time. Do you, I, do you have time for two more questions? No, I okay. have time. Rob has been texting me questions. <laughs> Poor Rob. Can't, like He just can't get in here with questions. So he has been involved in listening and he's really enjoying the interview. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> So let's cover, because, you know, we, we met through Todd Brown, um, you know, a mentor to both of us. I would love to hear if there is a particular lesson or just aha moment that stood out for you as you've worked with Todd in the mastermind that we've been in. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I think the very first, cause we joined top one and I think our, our next like group thing was like within days of it, which was really, really cool. Um, I think that for the last six, six, maybe seven years, I've really been feeling my way through business and copy and marketing. And I was like, my, my feeling has led me well, and I've been, I've been surrounded with a community of amazing people, but that is very tactic and hacks and kind of that mentality driven. And so I found myself as very much the oddball. And I was like, well, I don't want any of that. So I kind of rejected all of that. And I was doing things my own way. And I think meeting Todd, I was struck by his integrity and his uh, 
real honest desire to help business owners. And he's so incredibly logical. And if you haven't figured it out by now, like we're big into personality, like profiling. So if you're into Myers-Briggs at all, I'm an INFP. So I'm about as feeling oriented as you can get. And James, my partner. I am too. Are you? Yeah. (laughs) I'm not surprised. James, my partner is an ENTJ. So he's about as logical as you can get. And so together I'm like the meadow and he's the factory. And so when I met Todd, I was like, I feel like you're somewhere in between. Like he, like he straddles both worlds. And so when he started sharing his frameworks and I went through E5 and how he just kind of breaks everything down into a pattern and a formula and like a a strategy. I was like, you're making sense of all of these things that I've innately somehow known and kind of stumbled into, but now there's something I can follow. And that's, that's been pretty magical because I don't necessarily sit with it open on my desk when I'm writing but it's their seeds that he's planted that kind of take root and do their thing in my work now. And when I have a question of like, well, how should I approach this piece or this, you know, campaign, I can go through and be like, Oh, this is what I can focus on. Right. Or this is how I can present this. And I think that's been really, really powerful specifically with the marketing argument. I think that's been like a game changer for me. You know, I wanted to ask this question earlier and then I just kind of skipped over it, but I want to go back to it because you touched on it. How do you view the balance today of staying true to your own self, writing style, your own intuition, um, not comparing yourself to others, um, but also learning and then being in these groups where you are surrounded by colleagues and maybe even people, you know, other copywriters, other marketers who work in similar projects. How do you continue to learn while also staying true to yourself and not losing yourself in that book that you, you know, you originally purchased where you're like, I have to read this book to become a successful copywriter. What is that balance? What a great question. I think honestly, if I'm being totally honest, it's something that I still struggle with. I think that there's a little bit of, um, there's a part of me that's like, I don't want to hear what anybody else is saying because I want my writing and my style and my frameworks and my strategy to be like, somehow, but it's not, you know, like we're all, uh, we are the culmination of every conversation we've had, every experience that we've had, every place that we've been. And, um, and so I think, I think the real balance that I found is giving credit where credit is due, right? Like if I learn something from Todd, I'm going to say, I learned this from Todd. Isn't it amazing? If I learned something from Russell or from Shanda or from anyone else in my space, I always do my best to give credit. I think the problem with that is that sometimes we assimilate things to the point where we believe that they're ours, right? Like we believe that we came up with them. And I don't think that it comes from a place of um, wanting to deceive people. It's simply, I've taken this and assimilated it and kind of put my own stuff in it and, and now it's mine. Um, but this is probably where it originally came from or where I, where I heard it first. So I think that's kind of been the balance. I also really enjoy, uh, I just naturally see patterns everywhere. And so like I'll watch nature documentaries. You know, I love the sound of David Attenborough's voice and watching the animals do their thing. And I think because at the end of the day, we're, we're animals, right? Like we're humans and there's human nature and there's 
nature's way. And so I, I like to find things outside of business and outside of copy and outside of psychology that I can bring in and be like, see, it's kind of like this because I feel like more people will understand that. And so um, finding influence and ideas in places other than the expected places is one of the other ways that I think I've kind of tried to bridge that. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about what's next for you. What's coming up as we wrap up this conversation. I know we could keep, I could keep chatting with you for another hour um, and asking you questions, but what are you working on? What are you excited about right now? Oh man. Um, So we have, James has built his consultancy and I built my copywriting agency kind of completely separate of each other. And it was by design because, you know, I wanted to be the damsel in distress when he met me. And I was like, congratulations, you get to take care of me and the kids now. And he's like, uh, that's not how this is going to work. And I didn't, that didn't compute for me. And, uh, and we had the conversation and he said, you know, the damsel in distress bit gets old and the knight in shining armor gets rusty. He's like, I would really love to have a partner in our lives, in our business and all of these things. Um, and he says, but you don't know what you're doing right now. So you've got to like learn. And naively I was like, okay, that'll be fine. And there, you know, there were plenty of nights when I like cried my eyes out and I regretted my decision. But funny enough, when I got on stage at Funnel Hacking Live, I was like, this is a full circle moment for me because five years from when we had that conversation, I'm standing on stage in front of entrepreneurs teaching them how to do something. Right. I was like, wow, this is monumental. Um, anyway, so Fast forward to today, I've learned a lot and we've started really collaborating on a lot of projects. And so our companies are kind of merging right now. And we've taken on some projects where we do the outsource marketing department for bigger companies. And we've taken on some funnel builds where we do everything soup to nuts, like help create the project, done the sales page, run the marketing, like the whole thing. And so that's something that's super exciting. It's testing us. It's kind of messy, right? Because we've got to learn about capacity and who's sitting where in the org chart and who's in charge of what and how are we managing the team and all of these things. But, oh man, it is so amazing to sit with somebody and see like the ember of an idea that they have where they're just like, ah, this is what I want to do. This is what I want. This is the impact that I want to have in the world and know that we have the horsepower to actually make that happen and that we have the team behind it that can implement it. And then you get it out the door. And in six to eight weeks, you're just like, this thing didn't even exist. And now we were able to create it um, has been so exciting and so fulfilling. And so we're really looking to kind of streamline that whole process for ourselves and for our team so that we can kind of push that out to people. Let's recap a couple more things before we wrap up this episode. So Rob, during this part of the conversation, what resonated with you the most? So one of the things that I see happening all the time, and I'm really glad you ought to mention this, is when you revive your dead list, if you haven't been writing to your list in a while, even if you've missed a couple of weeks, so many people start with an apology. And I love that she calls that out and says, don't do it. People don't realize when we're not in their inbox, we're not that important. Just start off with the message that you want to share. So, you know, if, if you've got a list that you haven't mailed in, say, three and a half years, like some people that I know, uh, or, you know, Are you it's talking even to just, me? well, no, not necessarily <laughs> just you. Uh, 
since I haven't emailed my own personal list, yeah, same, same amount of time, but, um, you know, you don't have to apologize to say, oh my gosh, I haven't been here for so long, or I'm really (laughs) sorry that I didn't show up. Like that, that doesn't even make sense. Like people don't miss us. Like they don't care. So what's there to be sorry about? Just start in with a message. Just start talking to them about the things that you know. Uh, you know, just jump in and, and revive your list. So it, that's, it was a small thing. But you know, when she said that, I'm like, yes, bravo, more of that. Let's make that really loud. I'm glad you caught that. Um, I, it kind of makes me want to write that apology email to my list because I haven't emailed my list in like, I don't know, four or five years. And so I kind of want to do like the really obnoxious over the top apology just just to be silly. So, Some of that yeah, negative inspiration. Inspired. Yeah, it's yeah. negative inspiration we're talking about. Yes. Yes. Okay, so we also talked about copy blocks. And so what do you think about copy blocks versus day rates and all the different ways we can package our services? Yeah, I I I mean, we've talked about day rates a ton of times on the podcast and and we already know I don't love day rates. Uh, you know, I think to me it's a really easy way to uh, you know, back into an hourly rate. I don't love that sometimes they're really nebulous and it's not always clear what you're going to get at the end of the day, at least from the client standpoint. So I'm, I get they work and I know for some people they work really well. And I'm certainly not saying don't do them. We have people in the think tank who are, who are killing it with, with, uh, day rates and VIP days and those kinds of things. But I really like what Yada is talking about here because, uh, with a copy block that you're able to define a certain number of deliverables, it makes it really clear what you're going to get for the price and being able to buy, you know, copy block after copy block. I'm not sure that there's a fundamental difference between a copy block and a day rate other than maybe, you know, a copy block is executed over several days or, you know, in, in a different way. But I, I, I like that approach a little bit better. It makes sense to me and the way that I think my clients think. What, do you, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I don't have a strong preference if it's a copy block or a day rate. I love that we were able to talk about copy blocks and something different than day rates um, on the show. But I think ultimately it comes down to packaging. Like it's packaging your services, being really clear about what they're going to walk away with, whether it's a day rate or it's a copy block. Um, Yada is really clear about like, this is what you're going to get. And like, this is when we start and this is when we finish. So I think the best part about anything like this that you can package is there's a start time, there's an end time, there are clear boundaries in place. There's usually a clear process in place that you can work through. And then there's a promise as far as like what you're going to get. And so I think that's the most important part. And if those ingredients are missing, um, then it might be worth looking at your packaging again. Yeah, and I might have misheard this when when she was talking about this, but it sounded like she really cuts out everything except for the copy. You know, there's not a lot of research. There's not like this huge front end thing. Mm-hmm. She just, you know, the, the client shows up with a need. She takes a pretty quick look at it, figures out, you know, where can I make a difference or what are the things that I can deliver that are going to help solve this problem? And she goes. And I, you know, we talk a lot about research and, you know, how do you get to know the voice of the customer and all of this other stuff. And I think Yara saying it's not always that complex. You don't always need to build that in. There are, there are projects that can come along, particularly in the industries that she works in, where you can actually just kind of hammer stuff out and it will solve the problem and get you far enough along uh, to make a difference. Yeah, that's the way I remember it too, is just like Yada's trying to work with people that she knows she can help and she wants to make it as easy as possible for them to hire her and pay for this copy block so she can help them. And and if she can strip anything out and still deliver great results, um, she'll do it. So I think it's it's just, yeah, I mean, it, it 
it's doing that meaningful work and it's clear that she really cares about getting her clients results. Yeah. I mean, when you do it that way too, you're, you're showing up as a partner, you know, the owner of your own business, trying to help another owner of a business solve a problem and not just as a copywriter who's you know going to, going to just write words or whatever, but you're, you're showing up to help them solve a problem, which I like. Yeah. And at this point, you know, it's like, I only want to work with people who view me as a partner. And I also try to work with people who could be potential friend. I'm always in the hunt for new friends. So um, I am always looking for someone who kind of respects what I bring to the table and can bring something to the table as well. And so I think the way you look at your clients, whether it's a partnership or you're more of an order taker, will impact how much you get paid oftentimes and how how much you enjoy the project and what you're able to add to the project. I think it's also worth talking just a little bit about uh, Yara's experience being asked to speak at Funnel Hacker Live and how that forced her to think about herself and her business differently, how she basically had to grow into the kind of person who would speak at a conference that large, that big, first time ever on a stage. And uh, I know we mentioned when we we're talking to her that that presentation is on her website. It's definitely worth watching because she you, you watch it and you don't think that this is the first time on stage. Uh, you know, she, she kills it with the content, but she's very clearly stepped into a role. And I think those kinds of opportunities happen for us a lot and we have to be willing to grab them. You know, when those opportunities come to present, you, your first response may be, oh, I'm not ready. But the immediate second response should be, what can I do to change so that I am ready or so that I can be ready in time for this opportunity that's just come along? Yeah, I'm, that's why I'm a big fan of speaking, you know, speaking whether it's on a stage or it could be a podcast, right? It could be pitching your first podcast and being a guest on a podcast and growing into that challenge, which, you know, will take some prep and courage. So um, I think those, those opportunities are always exciting. I think the last thing that stood out to me in this portion of our interview with Yada is just how she was talking about how we assimilate information. You know, when we're learning about copywriting or marketing or whatever, we learn from all of these different experts. We read the books, we take the courses or whatever, and ultimately the information becomes ours. And we've talked a little bit about this recently as well. You know, how do you, how do you talk about something that you've learned from somebody else? Uh, in a way that becomes yours. I think we talked about it last on episode number 230, just between you and I, but you know, ultimately we, as, as we learn that it, it almost becomes ingrained in us where we don't remember where we learned those kinds of things. So I do think we need to be a little bit careful about using other people's frameworks or, you know, any of the intellectual property that they develop to talk about things, but general concepts and the learning that's available, you know, in copywriting books and copywriting courses or whatever, uh, it's not owned by anybody. And as she points out, we we all sort of assimilate this until it becomes ours and who we are. Yeah. And I think you get to a certain point, or maybe we just hit these points along the way where you, you kind of want to, like I said earlier, turn off all the courses and like not stop reading, but just like stop reading from maybe someone who's very, does something very similar to you just to kind of start start curating your own knowledge and start creating your own frameworks and your own approach to copywriting and marketing. And so I think that we all approach that at a different time um, and there's no right or wrong time and it can change where we kind of turn it on and turn it off. Um, but I do feel like I'm kind of, I, I like being in a stage where you can work on projects and I think the best way to develop your own concepts and IP and frameworks that you can teach if you want to teach is to work 
consistently on client projects. So you're doing it and you're getting, you're, you're having your own takeaways. You have your own aha moments from the work that you're actually doing. Um, but I know there's a lot of training that comes along the way or before that and is so important. So I'm not saying don't do that, but at the same time, know when maybe you can turn that off and just start paying attention to your own instinct when you're working on your own projects and like, oh my gosh, I just did this differently and it worked really well, or this didn't work. I could talk about that. I could teach that and share that concept. Yeah, I, I agree. Okay. And one last thing I do want to mention that we talked a little bit about was um, how to create that income stability and how to be really strategic about how you set up your offers. And so I, I think that's really worth mentioning because so much of the time we get burnt out as copywriters because we're jumping from project to project and we're constantly looking for those new clients or to fill, you know, to fill VIP days. And we, it doesn't have to be that hard. We can set up our own offers so you have an extended pay period, um, so you have multiple offers and maybe some can last for three months, maybe some can last for a year. And so... I think um, if you're if that's a struggle for you and it feels like feast or famine and you're on the roller coaster, then it might be worth looking at how you could repackage your offers so you could work with your clients over a longer extended period of time and you don't have to worry about constantly being the the hustle cycle. Yeah, what Yada shared about just the, having stable income and the way that that can change your approach to everything, you know, business and life, I think is is really important and. Again, getting to, you know, an idea that maybe we've echoed a few times on the podcast before, but you're building your business. You do not need to build the same business that your coach built. You don't need to build the same business that somebody else in the Facebook group built. You don't need to build the same business as anybody. You can make your business work for you. And if that's, you know, different kinds of packages, different kinds of services, different industries, different ways that you extend out payments, whatever, Having a business that serves your needs is the most important thing that you can do uh, as you build your business. And you can change it, right? Even if you've been doing it a certain way, at any point, we can all change it and say, that no longer works for me, but I'm going to test something new that could work better. Exactly. Yeah. And we should. We should be looking for opportunities to change things uh, when we think they could be better. Thanks to Yada Golden for joining us to talk about her business, her career path, her packages, and so much more. You can find out more about her at yadagolden.com. That's Y-A-R-A-G-O-L-D-E-N, yadagolden.com. And be sure to check out the presentation that she gave at Funnel Hacker Live that, she, that we mentioned a couple times during this podcast. It's on her site. Uh, I've watched it and it is uh, really good. That's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. Our intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit Apple Podcasts to leave your review of the show. Rob, how much would this mean to you if someone left a review of the show? Oh my gosh, I might cry if uh, <laughs> I saw a nice enough review. I, it's, it's fun to get them uh, and it's good for helping other people find us. So please, yeah, leave, leave a review if you haven't done it already. Okay. And if you're ready to invest in yourself and your copywriting business and finally achieve some of those big impossible goals, visit copywriterthinktank.com. We add a couple of new members each month and this month it could be you, but only if you visit copywriterthinktank.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better.
Oh